Welcome to the Sovereign Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Arzu Babri. In this community, we embark on a journey towards self-discovery in order to reclaim our sovereignty and live a life rich in connection, meaning, and purpose. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Sovereign Soul Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be discussing the genetics of trauma but more specifically, how we can either inherit or pass down emotionally traumatic experiences and certain behavioral traits from one generation to another. And at the end of the episode, I'll bring in some real life examples of how this entire concept can manifest in our lives today to make it more relatable and tangible. So as an overview I'm going to do a really brief discussion of genetics just so we're all on the same page, but I wanted to make a disclaimer before I get into that and let everyone know if you find some of the scientific terms are unfamiliar, try not to get bogged down too much with the vocabulary and just be open to absorbing whatever you can as an overall message. So genetics is the study of genes. And genes, just for those of you that might not be familiar, is, are defined as a unit of heredity. So they're molecular units that manifest as contributors to cell structure and function. So our bodies are made up of trillions of cells. And similar cells come together to form tissue, and tissues come together to form organs. So what we're more familiar with is various organs in the body, but if you were to trace that back down Step by step, you would reduce organs down to tissues and then tissues down to cells, just like I had mentioned. So each cell in our body consists of 46 human chromosomes that contain up to two meters of DNA. So we inherit 23 chromosomes from our mother, 23 chromosomes from our father that come together to form this 46 chromosome number. And approximately 35,000 genes are coded for for proteins that perform most of life's function. So really our genetic makeup is encoding proteins that are dictating our entire behavior, which I will break down into various components as well. So every physiological process is due to our genetic makeup. And this is why DNA is referred to as the molecule of life. So now our DNA is the largest macromolecule in living cells. And I'm sure a lot of you guys are familiar with the term macromolecules in terms of proteins, carbohydrates, and lipids. But DNA and RNA are a form of macromolecules known as nucleic acids. So the workhouse of cells are proteins that are encoded by these, this DNA sequence. So they all have different functions. And just a few examples of how proteins can function in our body include there are proteins in the cell membrane that help in the transport of ions and small molecules across the cell membrane. There is a protein known as myosin that is involved in the contractility of muscles. There are proteins known as enzymes, and there's so many different forms of enzymes, but these proteins in particular accelerate various chemical reactions in the body. So these are just a few examples of, on a molecular, cellular level, how proteins are responsible for every single function in our body. So the molecular expression of genes within cells is what leads to an organism's traits. 
Okay, so a trait is any characteristic that an organism displays. And just like I said, traits are controlled in part by the expressions of genes. So now there's a few different categories that traits can fall under. There's the morphological trait, which we're all aware of in terms of physical appearance, and that includes um, skin color, height. But then there's also physiological traits, which an example of that would be the rate at which an organism can metabolize sugar, for instance. So this is where it gets really important to kind of make this entire topic of this episode relevant. A trait predominates within a population because it promotes the survival or reproduction of the members of that population. So it leads, it leads to evolution of beneficial traits. What does this mean? It means that we're an adaptive species and we're constantly looking for ways to survive, which boils down to our genetic evolution. So this is known as natural selection. So certain mutations take place within our genes that create new alleles that are beneficial, and then those alleles may become prevalent in the future generation, and then that species becomes better adapted to its environment. So there's so many examples of this, but one example would be of giraffes, where a random mutation in their genes has resulted in the evolution of them having longer necks so that they can reach for the leaves higher up in the trees. There's multiple examples of how horses have evolved over time. And so something that's really interesting is that it really, it, like I've said, it really boils down to survival, but for so long, physical strength was what really dictated our survival because it was, as all of us are familiar with the term survival of the fittest, that really came down to your physical resilience. But nowadays we live in a world where there's so many medical advances that your ability to survive sometimes boils down to your ability to afford certain interventions or to afford to be able to artificially prolong your life. So that's a whole, I feel like I can almost make that a whole nother episode, but I just wanted to bring that awareness in and just show the massive shift that's taken place in our world and how that has a, a, a huge impact on our genetic makeup. So traits are governed by genes and by the environment. So by genes, like I've already mentioned, but also very importantly by the environment. So diet can have a great influence on many traits such as height, weight, and even intelligence. And a really cool example of this would be if members of the same family, if siblings in particular, were born in different geographical regions of the world, based on the diet and the environment, they might display a difference, a significant difference in height. You, so you're made up of the exact same genes passed down by your parents, but that external influence has had a, a different shift um, and manifestation physically amongst the siblings. So there's also external influences as well. So diet was kind of an internal influence. There's external influences that may dictate the way that genetic variations are manifested in an individual. So another example would be we sometimes, so this is why everyone's aware that when you're born into a certain family, there's certain genetic predispositions to um, certain conditions that you may have. And very interestingly enough, there's genes that now have been discovered that can predispose individuals to bipolar and schizophrenia. But an example would be a condition known as phenylketonuria, PKU, 
which is an inability to break down phenylalanine, making it really toxic in the body. If this predisposition was present within two siblings and one was given a diet that contained phenylalanine, that and that child would end up displaying a uh, stunted mental development and various other manifestations. But if the other sibling was given a phenylalanine free diet, they would be completely healthy. So this is a really, really great example of that environmental or external and internal influence of whether a gene is turned on or off. So evolution can occur gradually or be pronounced by periods of rapid change. And this includes sudden environmental shifts that really quickly drive the gene pool in a particular direction through that process of natural selection that I was talking about. And it all really comes down to ensure the survival of the species. So these kinds of events make it necessary for rapid evolution of the gene pool so that members in that population can survive. So interestingly enough, in the most recent past, this entire field is actually referred to epigenetics, which is really the study of changes in the organisms caused by modifications of gene expression, how the environmental factors influence and affect the expression of our genes. So our genes are, as I've mentioned, influenced by various stimuli, which includes diet and the environment, but also very, very, very important for this episode in particular, social interactions and our environment growing up in terms of family dynamics have a massive impact on our genes as well. So this makes me open up kind of this next little phase of the episode, which is the focus on the inheritance of trauma and the whole idea of intergenerational trauma. So now that we all have a basic understanding of a really quick overview of genetics, and you can see how this can so easily trickle down into families, communities, and societies. So there's a few different ways in which emotional trauma and behaviors can get passed down in families. One of the more basic ways of looking at this and approaching this would be kind of, for lack of a better term, I'll call it like a linear inheritance. So let's say that your parents, one of your parents, you can take one into into mind while I play out this example and you can see how that may manifest in your life. One of your parents went through an experience, a minor or major traumatic experience in their either childhood, adolescent life, at some point in their life. That experience influenced their behavior. Okay. So then their behavior then trickles down to when they eventually have children, their parenting style. So how this trauma is getting passed down in this linear manner is that their thoughts and beliefs are now becoming their behavior. So through sharing stories or whether you're witnessing their trauma or witnessing the pain that they experience, you're now inheriting that trauma and those beliefs based on your parents' parenting style. So... It's interesting because they're parenting based on what they know or sometimes even what they don't know. If they didn't have adequate skills to overcome those traumatic experiences, they're really kind of coming into parenting from a hyper-vigilant survival 
point of view and really sheltering you in certain ways to their best of their ability from what they think is is safe. <clears throat> so it's really interesting because there are so many examples that I can name, but I actually had a few years a patient tell me, and when she said this to me, I was just, it's so interesting. All of us can name so many examples in our families of these definitive statements that our family members or friends have made. And she said to me, she said that my parents used to say, if bad things happen to you, you must have done something to deserve it. And I just felt, I felt, I, I felt like I'd gotten shivers with that statement because it was such a definitive statement. And as a child, you don't know any better. You listen to your parents make these declarations and you look up to them and you believe it as your truth. And you really kind of almost like you're ingesting a meal, you're ingesting that as your truth and it's becoming a part of your, your makeup. Another example was a family friend of ours. I remember she would always, she grew up in a family where, because they didn't, they always, they were very superstitious and they didn't want to feel like they were jinxed or this whole concept of like evil eye that they felt like they needed to always hide everything that they did. And I remember she would go on these trips and she would always hide and kind of morph the story in certain ways and not really disclose where she was and everything like that. And when I was in that situation with her one time, I turned to her and I asked her, I said, you know, you can openly discuss this with people and there's people that would be really happy that you're embarking on these journeys. And she just looked at me stunned like, well, what can I do? Like, it, it almost seemed like her statement was, that's all she knew how to do. She didn't even think that there was an alternative. But because of the way, that's the way that she was raised, that was her truth and that's what she carried on and that's what she was now passing down to her children. So that was just an example of how behavior gets passed down based on just observation. So then the other way would be this whole concept of epigenetics that I've kind of discussed in our intro. So the whole concept of epigenetics is the switches on our DNA that tell the cells in the body to act differently can either be turned on or off. And a very, very interesting study that was done on rats was one where the rats were presented with a bowl of fruit and each time they approached the fruit, they were given an electric shock. So the rats over time began to develop extra neurons in their brain and in their noses. But the interesting part was these neurons were passed down to their children and their grandchildren. So that were never exposed to this initial trauma of the shock and the fruit, but they had those genes expressed in them. So this is a really brilliant way. Obviously they don't do studies like this in human beings, but it shows how that trauma is now passed down through generations. And same thing with kind of, it's, it's at the DNA level, right? So DNA sequences, they don't necessarily change themselves, but how the code is read and used in the body changes based on our environment and the traumas that we go through. And another example of this would be the Swedish um, winter famine, where the fathers that experienced the famine ended up having healthy sons and healthy grandsons that had lower risks of heart disease and diabetes. So again, another adaptive mechanism that ended up in with more positive results down the line. So this is where, if we look at it from a world view and a societal view, where certain populations that have undergone intense collective trauma, now I, th I think it might be a bit easier for a lot of the listeners today to be able to understand how these 
traumatic experiences are not only passed down from generation to generation, but they're really woven in the fabric of the being of these individuals. So I feel like compassion is so, so, so important because I've heard a lot of people say in the past where, oh, well, they should just get over it and things like that. And it's so disheartening to hear comments like that because it was a gen- it's a trauma that took years to get to that point where it physically changed their genetic makeup for them to adapt and to survive and to get to tell them to get over it. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I feel like we should have a little bit more compassion with those types of those types of situations from a world perspective. So on a personal level, how you can inflict these traumas onto yourself. So a more relatable level, we can look at it just like we discussed how we inherit these things from our families, but we also do impart these experiences onto ourselves. So a really good example of this would be in terms of relationships. Let's say that you experience a relationship in which you are devastatingly heartbroken. You will now register that in your body as equating love equals pain. Okay. So if love comes knocking on your door once more, instead of going towards it, because that's what you truly want, you end up pushing it away because you're saying that kind of like that rat study that I was sharing, you're, you're saying that this feeling that I am, that this individual is eliciting within me will down the line result in pain because that's what now you have associated that entire, um, realm with. So this is why it's so, so, so important to dig deep and to unearth not only the traumas that we inherited from our families, but also some of the things that we've inflicted onto ourselves and to really understand that some of these beliefs really aren't true because what happens is we're ending up storing a a lesson as a life sentence, essentially something that was meant to be a lesson to shape us into who we were destined to be is now crippling and preventing us from becoming who we were always meant to be. So another really, really cool layer before I wrap this episode up, for those of you who are interested, is if you want to start to dig into this whole topic and concept, it would be interesting to explore. This is why it's so important to get to know who you are, not only at this level of existence, but your ancestral um, experiences as well. So beginning to explore what your mother and grandmother's environment was during pregnancy for two reasons. So one reason is that our germ cells, so the cells that later go on to form sperm and egg, begin to develop in the embryonic stage. So what this means is that when your mother was an embryo in your grandmother's belly, the gamete that eventually becomes you was also developing. And then the second point to this whole concept is that we only inherit our mitochondria. So the mitochondria, as everyone knows, the powerhouse of the cells, what produces energy within each cellular structure. Our mitochondria is only inherited from our mothers. So there's a huge maternal lineage link to how a lot of these things come about. So some kind of things for everyone to explore if now that we're kind of wrapping up this episode, some things for you to consider might be when you hear these definitive statements 
from family, from friends, or whoever you, has really stated these things. What sensation do you feel in your body? Do these statements make you feel restricted and small? Or do they make you feel kind of expansive? So that would be a really good first step to just being embodied and seeing the sensation that you feel so that you can determine, is this something that I want to establish as my truth? Or is this something that I want to question a little bit more? So there are certain groups of individuals, um, most likely most of the people listening to this podcast, that are here for a great change. So you're here to start to break down these generational traumas. And the first step to that is awareness. So pinpointing the various layers of trauma that I was discussing and then actively working towards reversing and or replacing those um, beliefs. So some prompts that I want to leave you guys with just to kind of begin to do a process of self-discovery on this topic is what were some of you, the statements that you grew up with in your family, those definitive statements, some of the examples that I gave you guys, what were some of those um, that you remember thinking like, for example, you have to work really hard if you want to achieve anything or money is hard to come by. Like what were some of those definitive statements that really dictate your life today? And it might take some time. And so a good way to kind of work backwards is Start to think, what are some of the beliefs that you hold true and that have really hindered you from living a full life? And then trace that back to where that might come from. So are you able to pinpoint where they came from? And then if you can, that's where you'll be able to unravel where the level of trauma initially existed. And so you can repeat the statements back to yourself and then ask yourself, is this really true? Is it true that it's really difficult to earn money? Is it true that you will... Never find something that will fulfill all of your needs. Are these statements true or are they something that you're holding on to falsely because that's what you've been taught or that's what you've observed um, through the family dynamic? And then ask yourself, how many of these beliefs dictate your life today? So where are you feeling stuck? Where are you feeling like you need a little bit extra support? And can you trace that back to some of these You might not be able to necessarily trace it back to generational trauma because you might not be aware of what your ancestors went through, but just that simple awareness that a false belief stems from a broken pattern of thinking or a survival mechanism can really be life-changing for you to begin to then reverse that and to really take control of your life. So I hope that you guys found this episode extremely beneficial in some way, shape, or form. If you have any suggestions on future topics or things that you're interested in, feel free to send me a direct message on my social media page, um, on Instagram, or even through my website. And I'm looking forward to sharing another episode with you guys in the very near future.